Okay, I opened my laptop, still waiting for my morning tea to steep, and tried to type my password three times rapidly before getting it right. My waking fingers clacking with the determination of a machine. The high-definition snowy mountaintop and valley full of trees appeared in front of me. Friday, 8.14 a.m., in the upper right-hand corner. 94% battery icon beside it. I touched my face, adjusted my position on the wooden chair. The sun peeked through the cheap Venetian blinds, closed and hanging over the window in front of me. My small black kitchen table pushed, my, pushed up flush against the wall. I focused my eyes and touched the trackpad on my laptop with my middle finger, then dragged the cursor on the screen toward the bottom row of icons, and inhaling deeply, I clicked. Welcome to the second Doomer Optimism Literary Hour. That was the first page of the novel, The Novelist, by Jordan Castro, who's joining us today. My name is Donald. I'm an occasional first-time host, and I'm uh, co-hosting co with me today is um, uh, Joey Keegan, who's been on uh, the podcast before. Um, and we're going to talk about Jordan's book. We're going to talk about uh, Ohio, and um, we're going to talk about the what was or still is the, the movement of literature, of which he was a part. Um, and, uh, whatever else comes up. So Jordan, welcome. Yeah. Thank, thanks for, thanks for having me. Are you from Ohio? I'm from Cincinnati. Yeah. Oh, nice. Nice. So yeah. every time I ever toast a, an episode of tumor optimism, it always just ends up becoming about Ohio. Nice. Well, the funny thing is that I'm not from Ohio, but I lived in Huntington, West Virginia. I lived in Louisville, Kentucky. And one of the important uh characteristics of both of these places is that when you live there and you become sort of like a um an identified member of you know uh Huntington or West Virginia or Kentucky or Louisville you're supposed to really hate Ohio that's like that's an important part of being from West Virginia or being from Kentucky is loathing Ohio but I simply don't I actually really like Ohio a lot what um, do they what do, what do they say what's the what's uh, the drivers are supposed to be really bad. This is a common thing. Um, uh, you know, it's, they're, they're just the punching bag for everything, right? Like West Virginia and Kentucky are these places with enormous amount of problems. And so instead of paying attention to those problems that are kind of like of your own community and proximate to you, you project all of it onto the other guy, in this case, Ohio, for whatever reason. So. And growing up in Southern Ohio, we would always make fun of Kentucky and West Virginia. That I can I completely right. missed all of this. I I had I had no idea. I mean, northern Ohio. I've never been north of Columbus in the state of Ohio. I consider northern Ohio like a mysterious land, basically Michigan. You know, I don't know. So it's like it's like spiritually distant for me, even though I like recognize you as a fellow Ohioan. Yeah, and instantly have good feelings towards you because of that uh like you're from cleveland right yeah yeah the cleveland area i grew up in solon which is like a east side suburb and then i lived like after high school in uh well in kent for a year and then in like uh, in what the west side of cleveland uh for i don't know a handful of years okay so the novelist this is your first novel 
Mm-hmm. Previously, you wrote some poetry mm-hmm. and other things. I don't know how to talk to someone about an about a novel that like that you wrote, but it, we, I, it, well, you're the host. I don't know. Okay, so well, let's so let's start, let's get around to it eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we don't have to. Talk, we can talk about whatever. What, we're going to talk about your book and everyone. This is what it looks like. It's a beautiful cover. It's called The Novelist by Jordan Castro. Go to your nearest bookstore and buy it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um. Uh. The what this so is the name of the literary movement is alt lit. Is that what it's called? Is this a regional literary movement? Do you think this is how I think of it as a total outsider? I remember reading like this stuff years ago, and it felt like a Midwestern regional literary movement. With then Taolin is like a uh the exception that proves the rule. Mm. Do you agree with that? Maybe contextualize yeah. this stuff for our listeners who have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I so I think I think like um, you know, probably with probably with all like literary movements or something. I you know the the the, the people involved. I you know generally bristle at the at whatever name is sort of given to it. You know, and I think like alt lit is one of those things where I kind of like hear it and I and I just and I cringe. Um, but I do think actually, uh, what you said is sort of true. Like you know, I mean, I when people started talking about alt-lit and like sort of grouping different writers together, especially as disparate, you know, from like Tao Lin to like Scott McClanahan to like even at different points, Roxanne Gay or like R- Melissa Broder or something like that. I would it never like understood the HTML like- HTML giant universe. Right, right. yeah, e- exactly, exactly. And I never really understood why everyone got grouped together in the same way um, or not in the same way, but, you know, grouped together just in general. And I did have the thought that like one thing, one commonality seemed to be um, that it was like writers who weren't in New York or in traditional publishing um, and who were just using the internet. You know, I mean, those were like the sort of two, at least from my perspective, those were kind of the two, uh, the two commonalities. Like other than that, it, it's, it's hard, it's hard for me to know, you know, what, what, um, you know, what like Blake Butler has to do with with uh with with Melissa Broder has to do with with Sam Pink or Scott McClanahan or something like that um yeah Broder and like Butler all that seems a totally different like a a happening at the same time mm. but otherwise distinct like it seemed like to me again as just a reader a midwestern thing mm. and a stylistic thing but it also became like an actual uh, collect. There was like a literary tour, right? Like it was yeah, yeah. people who cat who did like did things together. Also, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, I think I when I was talking to Joey when he was in in New York recently, we were like walking. He was telling me that. Wait, were you at the thing too? And in, in uh, wait, where even was that, Joey? The reading that we that we met with that wasn't. That was in Louisville, and it must have been in like what, like 2012, or maybe even earlier than that, 2010, 2011, something like that. It was a long, so, it was super long time ago, and it was. It, I mean, it seems to me kind of, you know, from the outside. I mean, one thing I guess I guess is interesting is that Louisville, Kentucky, like nobody goes there to do art. You know, it's like nobody tours to Louisville, Kentucky, 
uh, to talk about literature or whatever, you know, it, and, and one of the things that struck me about, I mean, about kind of whatever this world is, this sort of outlet thing, for lack of a better um, term, is that... I just keep saying I mean, that to make Jordan cringe as much as possible. Yeah. <laughs> just like really hammer home that uh, that name as much as we can. It is, I mean, it is, it is useful. It's like, I just felt like I couldn't, uh, you know, I didn't want to be like saying it with my chest, like, yes, I'm a card carrying yeah. member of alt lit or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's like, there's no other word for it. And, and, and right. And so, you know, Donna's being, I guess, a, a little bit coy, I guess, but like, you know, when, so we both stumbled on this stuff when we were both living in Lexington, Kentucky at like in like 2010 or something. Mm-hmm. And Don would send me all this crazy stuff that, that he would sort of, come across like on you know on html giant or like weird riders that he was coming across and i felt like we both just really fell in love with this stuff and mm-hmm. i fell in love with it in large part because it, it formally it was the first writing that i'd ever encountered that really registered the tenor of the age this kind of you know sort of boredom boredom of of sort of you know neoliberal triumphalism in the obama years or something like and and this kind of you know this this refusal to really uh, care about the the sort of political um, mood of the time and, and instead to really just think about how much it sucked to have a dead-end job and like how boring the internet was but how we were all on it anyway I mean uh, and all of these kinds of features of life were were sort of turned into art for the for what I thought was the first time and and hmm. you know I was working a job at a restaurant you know it was it felt you know I, I, it, my sort of larger plans for life had all kind of crumbled um i was lonely and i was bored and then i I stumbled on this writing that i thought was just incredibly inspiring by other people who also just kind of lived in the middle of the country somewhere and were working dead-end jobs and were bored but were also inspired by art and so that was what i mean i took to it because i was like this is incredible like it felt like some it felt you know it was like the first thing that i'd come across artistically in that time that was new but also felt uh like it said something to me directly and Mm so so again you know when 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 this this tour came to louisville kentucky it was it was it was interesting both because yeah like louisville is not a destination for for you know art tours at all and um and there and it occurred to me that you know even at the time that there was something about what you guys were all up to like that was you know, it, it was, it was, it was, you know, I, I was thinking back and I was looking back at, at some of the writing that, you know, that came out of that world. And I was like, you know, looking back at, for instance, Talon's short story, Sasquatch, which was one mm-hmm. of these things that I'd, I'd come across online, you know, in like 2010 or something like that, you know, just sort of drifted in my purview. And I loved it. And yeah. I loved it because, again, it was literature about, you know, working at a stupid job that you don't like, but nonetheless having human passions, et cetera. Um, and, you know, uh, and, 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 and being, you know, and it was, it was inspired literature and it was inspired literature about boring middle America. And so that was the only, you know, the only tour that would come to Louisville, Kentucky is a tour of people writing inspired literature about middle America, you know? I mean, Talon's shoplifting from American apparel, like it seemed like it, it was it opened a door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like I, an I, invitation to write about the present. Like I, I'm stealing this from a, jo- a review Joshua Cohen wrote a long time ago at a talent novel, but 
it's like almost everyone writes historical fiction. They just said it in like the 1990s, even mm -hmm. though they're not just calling it historical fiction because like a lot of this stuff is kind of tawdry, <laughs> like, a, you know, dealing with like, um, you know, no one wants the, it, it, and it's hard to write about, it's hard to set a novel in the present time. Mm -hmm. And so everyone gets some historical remove. And so it's an interesting, like that project, like really try to write about the present. Yeah. Yeah. I think I actually, Catherine D just like had a thread on Twitter where she like asked, like last night, I think, where she like asked people for recommendations about novels that prominently feature the internet. And there was like a shocking lack of them you know and it was a lot of people being like um you know yeah most things just don't talk about the internet because it's redundant or you know people were sort of coping you know um but i do think that um at least for me like when i first read tao's writing i mean it sort of had and i think for a lot of people it had this kind of instantaneous like mimetic effect where i could see myself reflected in it um i could recognize that like it was speaking to something current, but also, I mean, I remember a lot of the criticisms of people being like, you know, oh, the technology is going to change or um, uh, these kinds of things. People really reacted against it in a lot of ways. And I think he sort of over time has been really vindicated. I mean, even things like, um, you know, self -prom promoting yourself, you know, not relying on, Sort of the traditional institutional structures to, to like promote your writing and it was like this huge it's weird to even think about now but there was you know it was this huge scandal where you know people were criticizing him for promoting his the own writers on gawker well, yeah, yeah i mean that was that was great yeah um um you know uh but you know people were people were criticizing him for promoting his own writing because this was i guess like uncouth or something um and now of course every and he even had to like write at this this blog post sort of defending you know, uh, a writer's ability to like promote their own writing and why this is okay. And now everybody does it, you know? Um, and I think like, um, even at the time there was like all this suspicion about, you know, internet literature and, and I kind of, I think was able to, I was like 16 at the time when I like kind of got into that world. And I think it benefited me because I was able to like, like when I realized that all you had to do was just send writing to like email addresses and they may, they might publish it. It was like this revelation for me. I was like, dude, that's so easy, you know? And then, you know, I think the first one I submitted got accepted, which was like really encouraging. I felt like I got away with something, you know? Um, but there was this like, um, yeah, this, this, I guess this sort of like um, reaction against a lot of what was going on where people just thought, I don't know what they thought. They were, I guess, maybe resistant to change in the kind of like way that many people are, but yeah, I think speaking into the contemporary moment in a way that is distinctly, um, distinctly contemporary was like was was like uh, it gave yeah it certainly gave me permission to write about about those things and take it seriously too. I think it reached yeah it's either high point or low point depending on how you look at it. Sorry, wait, what what do you say? I missed that. I think this type of literature reached either its high point or its low point depending on how you look at it with Megan Boyle's live blogging, hmm. which I remember when she, I remember like when she, before it was published as a book, I remember when she was actually doing it 
Mm-hmm. And it's really disturbing. Yeah. Stuff, right? Because, it, uh, you know, again, I'm saying I didn't actually know any of you, but it seemed like everyone was kind of spiraling out into drugs and madness. Definitely. Um, and that's clear in the writing. It's, it becomes really hard to read because it's it's writing about contemporary, but it's writing about people basically killing themselves. Mm-hmm. But what's what's remarkable is how many of you came out the other side and kept writing. Yeah. And yeah. it was delightful. I think I was like, Joey and I were talking at some point and I was like, all these guys are still writing. Like all the guys yeah. that we read back then never stopped. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, maybe someone did, but in on the whole, and I think it's, it's really cool that it kind of had its moment where it was getting written about as a thing. And that came and it went. And then people still, like that's the mark, you know, like people are still reading, people still writing, still mm-hmm. doing things together, which is also interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And it seemed like, at least for the most part, that people came out the other side of that really dark Mm-hmm. Uh, period and kind of pulled themselves together. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of a, a lot of people did. I mean, some people, some people didn't, you know. But I think um, uh, a lot of people did. And you know, I, Megan's book in particular, I feel like is almost prophetic in a certain way. You know, like sort of setting out to to kind of document every thought or thing she does with the specific intention of like changing her life and making it better. And then, mm. you know, and then it, and then it just totally failing, you know, this kind of thing where it's just like, you know, and, and, and of course now a lot of people do that, you know, they sort of, I mean, not to the extent that she did, but they're like, you know, documenting the information of their lives in hopes that it will result in something that never really arrives. Um, um, but yeah, that, but, that 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 I agree that book is sort of sort of typifies the um the zone, I guess. Yeah. Did anyone well, overseas? It, Sorry, Joey, I'll let you do the next one, but did any of you ever go overseas? I think that's the other interesting thing is that almost every sort of generation in American literature, everyone goes to Europe. Like all these great American novels about America are actually written. Right uh, in Europe, and that was in, that didn't seem to, well. I guess maybe Tao did, but well, Tao Tao would go to Taipei. I mean, there was actually one time when Ar- weirdly Argentina really liked like they did like an alt lit anthology back in the day that they translated, and I think they translated Tao and Megan's book. And I remember um, being in 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 New York actually um, on this like you know crazy bender. And they were like supposed to go to Argentina for their like book tours or whatever out there. And then they just didn't go. They were like, they just like didn't go to the airport and just didn't go. Um, and so yeah, it's definitely that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that, that it also is it is kind of distinctly, distinctly American. Um, um yeah, yeah. And I'm glad no one really, I don't think anyone ever really wrote about it that way, either as like American or regional in any in any way. Um I guess maybe part of what made it feel not especially regional to me, even though when you're talking about it, it, it makes sense. It's just that like the internet made everything feel not flattened exactly, but like, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I'm trying to say. 
I felt like I was online, I guess, <laughs> even though, even when we were in Louisville or whatever, like, and I guess maybe I just didn't, I was, you know, I was just, I was young. I didn't really understand that that wasn't because, you know, the other, the other weird piece of it, I guess, Joey, to your point about like touring in Louisville and so on is like, I can't, I like when I was really young, I was like in DIY punk bands in Ohio. And that's just like how we did things. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, one of the first conversations me and Tao had over email was like about Johnny Hobo and the freight trains and like leftover crack and stuff like that. And so it never even occurred to me not to just do that, you know, not to just kind of like go read at houses or, or small places and like travel around. It just felt like an extension of, of punk almost to me. What's so funny about that is that Don and I once did a similar sort of thing. He used to publish a literary journal and for the release of the third issue, uh, we decided to go on a tour throughout the Midwest and go, go debate each other. Um, in various towns, small sort of small cities that we like, I don't know, Cincinnati, like Madison, Wisconsin, et cetera. And it was just another, you know, it seemed like there, there's something Urbana, of the, Urbana. Yeah, that was one of the best spots of Champaign Urbana. Um, and yeah, and, and very deliberately kind of in the style of like DIY punk rock. Um, this what is just kind of the thing you do. What would you debate about? Well, we it's had on- a debate, we, we framed it where we would have two people debating. And then two people who you could tap out and then someone else would have to come in to your spot. But you could arrange it such that by the end of it, you would be on the opposite side of where you began. That sounds fun. And then at the end, we'd have everyone do watercolor paintings. We'd like pass out to everyone who came like watercolor paintings and have them all paint. I still have like the stack of watercolor paintings that people made at these tour events. I don't know where that is, but somewhere in a box. Nice. And and Don had at one point planned to do a Kentucky world tour where you would just go and do fun things and like all these towns in Kentucky that are all named like Baghdad, Lebanon, et cetera, you know, Brazil, Kentucky, Frank, Paris, Kentucky. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, They've uh, got a Baghdad and a Paris, Kentucky. Oh, yeah. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think when I think Brazil, I think I was actually thinking of Indiana. But yeah, I mean, those, the crazy thing about these about these sort of, you know, upper south Midwestern states is all these crazy town names. But um, but yeah, I mean, like that kind of DIY spirit. Uh, I mean, what's so interesting about that is, is right. So you guys were producing this 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 literature in a time when that that had basically no purchase at all in the literary establishment. There was mm-hmm. no like DIY initiative or energy, it was all completely, you know, everything was so highly institutionalized. And it's still basically the case. It's gotten a little bit different in as much as you guys prefigured it to a large extent, what would happen with literature more generally, it would become a sort of online phenomenon. You'd have these sort of rogue figures, self-publishing things, so on and so forth. But especially at that time, you know, in the, the early 2000s, literature was so so captured in inside of like these specific magazines these specific mfa departments you know so on and so forth that like to have a tour that did something that was like punk rock but was like short stories and poetry was basically unheard of um which i just thought was extraordinary well Well, there's the institution of the local poetry reading right that's at a yeah, there's that shop too. Or a bar, and the poetry is almost universally really bad. Right. And well, I, anyway. Yeah. 
now that I now that I I'm actually just re remembering this, um, uh, but there was actually a kind of uh, besides once you know Tao went down to Gainesville and read it like a Planet X thing, but like at one point there was uh, I can't remember the name of it, but some of my punk friends put on like a festival every year in Kent, like where the bands would come play and stuff like that. And one year they had like Sam Pink and Tao and Megan and Noah Cicero come to like read at you know this this big diy punk festival um and actually another thing that well i don't know another thing that 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 sort of i guess uh, uh prefigures the current moment was that um tau read from richard yates i'm just i'm just thinking about this now for the first time in a very long time but he read from richard yates and there was like tons and tons of grumbling because there's like a a part where someone says something like about rape or something says the word rape i can't remember the context but that's actually the first maybe memory that I have of there being an inkling of some sort of some sort of issue. I don't know. Yeah, I mean that that novel generally created this this sort of low level stir kind of in the like internet literary world, right? It was like this really kind of punishingly sort of I want to say honest, but I'm not quite sure that's the right word for it. But just kind of it was just this very blunt frank book about this really difficult and in many ways very bad relationship that uh the details of which had been sort of taken to make to you know to, to make this literary object this novel and it was interesting i mean i remember reading like html giant and stuff like that around the time that it was published and there was a smattering of sort of discourse about is this is this novel like evil basically was the you know and and there was you know various debates going on about it and it, it really felt something like uh you know it was it was the kind of sort of pearl clutching um is is this art doing bad things to people should we ban it kind of mm -hmm. discussions that are so common today but didn't seem to be all that common back then and i i think a lot of it had to do yeah to some extent with tao's outsider status to the stuff also um, and that he had been sort of, you know, um, he he developed a, a kind of reputation as a provocateur. But the book, I mean, his writing is extraordinary. I mean, I, I said I said this to you, Jordan, when we when we hung out in New York. But like, I I really think that both on the level of uh, sort of form, like as a kind of artist, you know, as you already indicated, the, the sort of the self promoting his own writing long before this was even kind of a thing. But then also in the terms of content. The, you know his style the kind of way that he would he would uh write about th this sort of new age of the internet sort of incorporating this like g chat stuff you know that really I, I mean i think he's he's one of the most groundbreaking literary artists of the last several decades and just one of the best like straightforwardly yeah. i agree yeah i agree shouts out town I, I, so I, did you yeah. guys read were you guys reading norman mailer and philip roth this is another thing that like never gets talked about, the like autofiction and all this stuff. That Roth and Mailer to me, like, okay, so if you read Norman Mailer's like Armies of the Night and these novels where Norman Mailer's the main character, they're they're set in the present tense, you know, when he was writing them. Um, Roth doing the same thing. But I guess maybe like showing up as Philip Roth rarely, but you know, as Nathan Zuckerman and so on. And like Roth and Mailer seemed like the obvious like, literary ancestors to a lot of these things. 
but I, I, maybe not. I I've never, I, I've actually never, never read either. I know that Honor Levy, who uh, the, the 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 queen of all it two point uh, <laughs> has told me has told me that she she wants to be Norman Mailer. I mean, I don't know if that's still true, but at least as of like a, a year and a half or two years ago or something, she was telling me that she that she wanted to become Norman Mailer. But one of the reasons why maybe it never got put in that tradition is because Tao was like, I'm not trying to do like a an identity thing right now, but it could be that he was Asian. You know what I mean? Like, I think that like that people, Frank Guan, I think is his name, wrote like a really interesting essay for N plus one that I thought was compelling about how like part of the animus people had toward Tao was that he was like a guy expressing like masculine desire, um, but he was Asian and people don't like, generally speaking, when when Asians, I think Tao doesn't, 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 isn't compelled by that argument as much but i it's it is interesting you know where it's like people and i guess maybe no one put themselves in that tradition with like philip roth and norman mailer but um but that's an interesting point yeah yeah it would sort of prefigure i think something like wes yang's souls of yellow folks book right this this sort of curious phenomenon of this uh this this american minority sort of achieving its own voice in kind of art and, and literature and so on and so forth. And it, and it being a really uncomfortable situation for everybody. And also just kind of culture more generally, I mean, that like Wes, Wes isn't in, not so much interested in sort of books about Asian America, but in sort of, you know, sort of just the culture of it as it kind of comes into its own. Um, uh, but we're talking a lot about the past, but you just published a book recently. So maybe we, maybe we can start to talk about your book. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, the the novelist by Jordan Castro, featuring a character named Jordan Castro, uh, available where you get uh, your fine books. And I, I mean, I guess the, the thing I want to say on the front end is is one of the things I found so fascinating about about this book is that it it clearly you know has so many of the sort of features of uh, you know the 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 stuff called altlet. Um, you know, it, it incorporates this, this kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely called alt lit. I think Jordan I mean, Castro, you're part, really, yeah. you are really a, a representative alt lit writer. But, yeah. When people yeah. think alt lit, they, th they <laughs> should think you, and when they think you, they should think. <laughs> it's funny. I, I was like, when we were talking, I had this weird feeling where I was like, damn, I'm like, I'm like 30 years old. I'm like, I feel like I'm like on some like reunion tour. You know what I mean? Like just reminiscing, yeah, yeah. About like touring and shit like that. I don't know. Um, anyway, sorry, we can, we can. Yeah. Well, no, 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 I was, I was going to sing more praise of your book. I mean, so in, in, in one sense, it's, it feels so it's, 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 um, it continues in that, in that style, right? You know, you, you, this sort of Moo Moo House era stuff. I mean, you can feel that same kind of, um, you know, certain set of uh, stylistic innovations kind of pervading it, right? The sort of obsessive sort of self observational mode is, is a big part of the book. This, you know, the character who's trying to work on this novel and keeps screwing it up um, uh, is is constantly thinking about what he's doing on the micro level, right? The adjusting yourself in your seat, touching your face, et cetera. It is heavily invested in what the experience of the internet is like. And in fact, I think it's, it's one of the only books that I've read uh, in recent history that talks about something like Twitter that gets it right. Um, and this kind of compulsive, addictive, quality that um that social media has which uh i think you you 
very in a way that reminds me of like David Foster Wallace making this comparison between the sort of the sort of cycle small level psychological obsessions of like the tennis players and infinite jest and then also like the halfway house drug addicts right you sort of make this parallel between your character's heroin addiction former heroin addiction and then their the sort of present day sort of internet obsession or they're, they're, you know that obsession really because it's, it's subconscious but this internet compulsion um and sort of making this connection to these things. So, so yeah. So the stylistic thing, um, the internet thing, but then also it 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 reminds me. I mean, there are there are moments that remind me so much of like Dostoevsky. Um, it it's it is it seems to draw from a, a very deep artistic well um, that isn't isn't just this uh, this sort of you know following in this tradition of like internet literature from the 2010s or something. You know, it it, it really seems like you were engaging with a, a you know a, a sort of bigger uh sort of tradition of literature you mentioned thomas bernhardt a couple of times right the sort of euro pessimism um transported to an american context seems a big part of it um all that's to say the book rules <laughs> thank you yeah yeah it's all lit grown up yeah 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 you know um 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 when you were talking i was i was thinking of like um um, I, you know, I wanted to puff my chest and like Kanye, you know, be like, I am David Foster Wallace. I am Dostoevsky, you know, <laughs> uh, this kind of thing. Um, um, anyway, sorry, were you? Were you... Well, I, I guess the point that I was getting to is, is, I mean, to a certain extent, right, like it, it does feel like something like alt-lit grown up or something. But it, 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 I guess I would I would frame it as something like, like this is the first time that I've, the first book that I've read where it feels like, right, so alt-lit was taking um features of life in the early 2000s and turning it into art and it was still kind of finding itself you know like a lot of the stuff like you know like looking back at stuff like you know um, uh, brandon scott Gorell's book and and sort of megan boyle's books right all of that all that stuff is super interesting and fun but um it especially in hindsight it looks like it's it's art striving for something that it didn't quite achieve and in your book i feel like it really did it Thank you. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's like a really like in turn, like it makes um, it makes the, the experience of the Internet age legible to me for the first time. Right. Like you can write a million nonfiction books about what the Internet is doing to us or whatever. But none of it uh, quite showed it to me in the in, in, in the, the sort of stark detail that your book did. Um, and then it, I don't know, it, there's this weird quality of it where it, it's, you so effortlessly write about what it's like to sort of navigate all these, I mean, almost like, it, like, it's almost like a Dantean kind of, you know, um, journey through the various Dante too. I'm Dante circles too, of hell. Yeah. You're Dante too, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's like you crack open Facebook and you talk about what Facebook is like and how it's a specific sort of zone of the internet where people post in a particular kind of way. And you have this, you have this amazing description of like, of like, for whatever reason, you become fixated on this former classmate of yours and her, you describe her face as like waxy. It's just like this wonderful thing. And you're like, who is this person? Why do I have any connection to her? What's, why is she always uh, posing with these, like, these like really thick men? They all look kind okay, of the same. Can I ask a question about that? Yeah. What do you mean by thick? Cause that could mean like, do you mean like muscular thick men? Or like big bellies, like what well, do you? Not, mean by yeah, not not big bellies. I was imagining like um, 
like guy who was jacked in high school and is still mm-hmm. kind of jacked but not really yeah. that jacked yeah. and maybe like a north face or or whatever yeah okay. that's exactly what i pictured i mean I, I i could like as you were describing these things i like knew exa- i could just like the image was so was so clear to me in large part i think because this is i mean I had the similar sort of experience with the internet, which is like I pop onto Facebook, I stare at it for about five minutes. I, I don't want to be on it, but for some reason I am. I'm like scrolling through and there's like six people that I went to high school with that I don't even have anything with common in common with anymore. We don't actually talk and there's no reason why I should know anything about their life. But for some reason, I'm like weirdly compelled to continue to do it. And then I close that and then I open up Twitter and then it makes me miserable for about, you know, three minutes. And then I wonder why I use it anyway. And then I, and and but like the, capturing that experience, like you know, I, I I have I have not again I have not come across a piece of writing that could that detailed the experience of of the internet now, like what what it's like to be on the internet today, um, as I have your book. Um, Thank, thanks, man. It, uh, we it was painful about, at times, you know, but yeah. Can we talk about this? I think. Okay. I reading your book. I'm on page 68, by the way. Joey tells me it gets better. I haven't got to the Dante and Dostoevsky part. Yeah, uh, you're not Dante yet. I don't know. We'll see if you, <laughs> we'll see if you get there. Um, uh, that's a high bar you're setting, Joey. Um, but at least through the first 68 pages, it read to me as a chronicle of. Like brain damage. I don't know how else to put it. Yeah. Like that the like it was a chronicle of someone who's being destroyed by um whose like capacity to think and act is being destroyed by uh the internet. And um I, I, I want to talk to both of you about this. So I don't know how long ago it was now, two months ago, something. I like nuked Twitter which I'd done before, but I did it again. But I did it because I really felt like I was lobotomizing myself. I don't know how else to describe it. Like, I felt like I was actually... I, my wife calls lobotomizing it... Lobotomizing myself. Nicolette calls it erasing herself. And so I nuked it. And now, you know, I'm like re-building um, my mind, kind of. And uh, which has been really nice. Um, like reading uh like i found like i'm reading poems again just like reading poetry again um and like reading uh like the like essays of jeffrey hill and and, and, like different things that are kind of like not not read in a long time um but i'm just curious about like if you to like have that feeling (laughs) Like, like, I really felt it distinctly. It was like, I am destroying, like, I'm not going to have, I'm not going to be able to think at all if I keep doing this. Like, I really felt like a, a very stark, like, I need to stop this now yeah. while I'm still have something left. Yeah. Or else I'm done for. But I don't know if you two have had that experience. Do you, have you ever, like, made the, you know... Yeah, definitely. Walked away and like, did you have to, like, were you able to, in order to finish writing this, did you have to like step away from the internet? You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I mean, I, so I, I, um, um, like usually for Lent, I'll get off for like 40 days. 
and um not this past one but the one i can't remember which one at one point i was like i was off and i was like like you said reading poems i was writing poems again like sort of like you know about like you know just weird you know like 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 earnest feelings and like you know whatever nature imagery this kind of thing like all, after like 20 days of being offline you know i was i was reading more um and i stayed off i stayed off for actually a while like my old accounts are gone and this kind of thing i i only came back on to like promote uh the novel um, and my plan was to get off and then of course like i didn't get off and now it has its hooks in me again um but i completely relate with like you know being off and um you know my sort of like uh inner life and also just the 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 the, the kind of like facts of my life that i'm more present with you know with my with my wife or or, or whatever um but i i do think that like one of the things that i tried to do with the novel which i think maybe joey you were pointing toward was like i think when i was you know writing when i was a teenager and like reading a lot of the kind of 1.0 stuff um I became really disillusioned with it, you know, the all at one point, you know, I, I became really disillusioned with it because I think the hope or the 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 thought of a lot of people then was that like there was something just good about like documenting things or about um, you know, like being honest, quote unquote, about like, you know, certain details of one's like daily life or whatever, and that there would be some sort of redemptive quality or that there would be some, you know, this would like necessarily lead to change or or something good. Um and, and, you know, and then I had a, many years there where like, you know, in between where I sort of like wasn't writing that much and kind of like, you know, changing and growing and so on. And I, I think like what I tried to do was like infuse, and maybe this is why, uh, Don, you felt like it was a chronicle of brain damage because like I tried to infuse, um, you know, the using the internet and, um, you know, trying and failing to write and stuff with a perspective from outside of itself, you know, as opposed to just like documenting things as they occur, which is like partly what I did. Like, I really tried to sort of mindfully pay attention, like, okay, what's actually going on when I'm trying to do something productive and I like bla basically black out for 30 seconds to five minutes and like find myself scrolling, you know, trying to like recreate the actual like mechanics of what happens and in my mind and also like concretely. But I think like for things, generally speaking, like that to have value or to at least be illuminated they have to be illuminated by some sort of other perspective you know what I mean and so I think um that's definitely what I tried to do and I think like engaging like you said with with sort of more um I always say that like I I, I got my like my like educate quote-unquote education my like self-education like backwards you know where like you know when I was younger I just like read a bunch of contemporary stuff and so on but then the more I started to engage with people like Dostoevsky or or I mean or Dante I, mean, I, I didn't actually think of Dante but you know reading Dante you know but reading things out of this tradition and sort of realizing that they had a perspective on the things that I was thinking about and going through and and a sort of corrective to the sort of extreme relativism or this or this like um or this, um, you know, all this stuff, this sort of nihilism, whatever. There was this. There's a perspective that actually shed light on the things that that I was that that, that were happening, you know, online, but also um, in my life. And so I think that is sort of um, I sort of went on a tear there. But yeah, that, that's kind of what I was thinking about and, and and trying to do. But the the short answer is, I was just actually telling um, Nicolette that I was like, it might be time for me to delete again. I don't want to. Like now, it's like I'm kind of like. I don't know. It's hard because I do feel like I'm frying myself. You know what I mean? I don't know. 
What about you, Joey? Do you yeah. feel like? You... Yeah. Do you feel? Do you... Uh, I have difficult. I mean, like I have probably like difficulties with it. Um, I've stepped back from it recently, and uh, it's I've picked a really fortuitous time to stop using Twitter. Uh, and as much as a lot of really bad things just happen, and Twitter gets Twitter's the worst when things are actually happening in the world because um, uh, everybody just turns psychotic. Um, and I. I found in the last i mean it's only been like a week or so when i kind of like made this decision to step away from it and and uh i mean i have a real it's it's maybe easier for me because i have this really great reason to focus my attention elsewhere which is my baby daughter um who's a million times more amazing than anything on the internet could ever be uh, i don't know and <laughs> that's right um but i mean i and i am also in a really lucky position like we made a decision really early on that like you know uh this seems like the sensible and obvious thing but this isn't the thing a lot of people do but that our that our daughter would not be at all a part of our sort of internet life so i've i've never it's never even like occurred to me to like want to post a picture of my baby on twitter publicly or anything like that so um already you know it, it there was there was a there was this gap you know we sort of maintained this boundary between uh our sort of normal you know real domestic life and then the sort of life on the internet and just as like, I don't know, as as the the baby started growing up, it just became more obvious that uh, devoting my attention to the opinions of a bunch of crazy people is not really the best way to spend one's time. But I I, I do want to read a section of of your book, if that's okay, that I think really kind of captures this experience of like being sort of helpless in the face of uh, of of the internet, like the way that it kind of just like constantly pulls you in. This is when you're still when you sort of like looking at it. Yeah. Before you read this, like, and I want you to read it. I want to give anyone out there listening the um, instructions for how to nuke your Twitter account from orbit in a way that is that you can never get it back. Okay. So here's what you do. You open a burner email account on like ProtonMail or something. Okay. You give the email account a long nonsense password that you'll never remember. You switch your, your, your Twitter account to that email address. And then you also give your Twitter account a totally nonsensical uh, password that you'll never remember. You can like copy and paste it if you had to put it in and then log out of both the email account and the Twitter account you have no way to log back into either of them ever again. Nothing you do will ever bring any of it back. It's gone forever. I somehow didn't follow what you just said. Did you follow Joey? Did you understand what he was saying? Yeah, but I only know this because he told me about this. He did this with a previous account. Yeah, so you knew it from orbit. So, like, you 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 switch the email account associated with your Twitter account. Oh, okay, okay. That's the part. That's email. The that's the key part I missed. That's the key yes. part I missed. Okay, I understand. And then you then you make it so you don't know the password to either one, and then you'll never be able to. It doesn't matter if you change your mind; it's gone. Like there's there's no way to to retrieve this. Yeah. Okay, Joey, please read this passage. But I just wanted to anyone out there who's like, you know, you delete it, and then a week later you open you restart it again or something. If you do this, you'll never be able to log back in again. Unless I guess you could but, create a new account, but 
Yeah. Let me know before I read this. I mean, part of my difficulty with Twitter is that it's actually been really amazing for my life. And that, for instance, I, you know, Jordan and I would never talk to each other without Twitter. Like we had this brief random sort of like ships in the night kind of passing in like 2011 or whatever in, at this tour in Louisville. But then, you know, we didn't know each other at all, but we were able to like meet and talk with each other um, and, and arrange this podcast, et cetera, because of Twitter a huge amount of like the actual concrete good things in my life with a few notable exceptions, mostly my marriage, um, which it has nothing to do with the internet. Uh, but a lot of the great things in my life uh, are sort of products of spending time on Twitter and talking to people. A lot of the people that I know in, in person who have become really genuinely good friends are people that I met through the internet. So I have a deep ambivalence about it because I do think that it, uh, it can occasion an enormous amount of good, but yeah. at great peril. And I, and I, and I think, you know, what, what your, what your book does so wonderfully is that it, it shows what that peril is, right? So that there's, there's a, there's a possible trade-off and the trade-off has a lot to do with your attention. Um, so maybe I can read this section that I think is really, is like a really great sort of representation of the way that you sort of articulate what it's like to experience the internet. So this is your your character has struggled for a while to try to to try to actually open the Google Doc where the novel that he's working on exists and instead keeps opening other things. And right now he's scrolling through Twitter, a place that he navigated to without really wanting to in the first place. They say now on Twitter's homepage, I scrolled, quote, everyone wearing fanny packs this year would have ridiculed anyone wearing fanny packs five years ago. You are all horrible, end quote, a picture of a clothed chest with an I voted sticker on it. Quote, dance for joy, coffee make seasonal flavors are back with a gif of a cartoon coffee cup dancing next to a giant coffee make creamer bottle, a blurb for a forthcoming novel. Quote, I can't believe food costs money, end quote. Quote, A is just short for amen. Quote, I've seen the, use, the word neckbeard, neckbeard used to refer to antithetical things, end quote. All these are all various tweets that you see. I grinned. I slid two fing fingers forcefully upward on the trackpad and then held them there. The heel of my hand anchored to the base of the laptop. Tweets scrolled by, blurred like one mass of text until everything stopped. I really did not want to be looking at Twitter. I tried to think of something but couldn't remember what I was trying to think of. Perhaps I hadn't wanted to think of anything specifically. I visualized getting up, going to the bedroom, picking up the mezzanine by Nicholson Baker off the bedside table. Was it on the bedside table? Then walking to my reading chair, sitting in my reading chair and reading it. Reading a novel might help me refocus the morning. My novel, I recalled with trepidation. My novel was what I'd been trying to think of and why I had wanted to focus in the first place. My novel, which had been making me feel dejected and unwell due to its badness, was the opposite of the mezzanine. My novel was not cerebral or immaculate like the mezzanine, and due to its having been written in the third person present tense by me, had no texture or insight at all. I would begin work, work on my novel now, I resolved. Perhaps I could try to channel the mezzanine. I began moving the cursor around Twitter's homepage in an aimless, vaguely circular manner, flinging my pointer and middle fingers in small twitching spurts, like watching the cursor flail on the screen like a fly against the window. I stalled for a few seconds this way, scanning but not reading tweets, then clicked Gmail, then Twitter again in less than one second. <laughs> I scrolled Twitter and saw tweets about Donald Trump retweets from accounts I didn't recognize, and one tweet that included the word hot. 
My back and jaw clenched as I passively registered the barrage of awful content. I didn't so much process the tweets as absorb the tone and length of them. I felt increasingly like I was staring at the screen from a face that was not my actual face, but was somehow behind or inside of my face, my second face, like I was inhabiting an auxiliary body inside of my body. My outer body was the anchor operating independently of me. I was somewhere inside of myself, behind my outer face, my skin face. There was no conscious sensation in my hands. Also, I'll, I'll stop there. I mean, I just, it, it's such, yeah, this, this thing, you know, just like knowing at the, at the moment that you're doing this thing, that you don't want to be doing it, and you resolve to do something else, but then you're just sort of sitting there, like swiveling the thing around. And then also this, this, uh, this image of kind of the second face shows up a whole bunch um, in the book, at least a couple of times of feeling like you've got this, that you have like this exterior skin face that's sort of there and, and feeling. <laughs> and then there's another one on the inside. I forgot that I, that I put skin face in there. <laughs> it's great. I mean, yeah. one, one thing, when I, when I saw the movie Get Out afterward, I was like, oh damn, that's kind of like, did you, guys, did, you guys, did you guys see that movie? Where the guy I haven't seen it, no. Never mind. It's not then. It's not worth getting into. But I was like, they kind of do a. I mean, they don't really do it, but they kind of do a second face thing. I think I can't even really remember, but where the guy's sort of like inside of himself, kind of like distantly, you know, kind of like yeah. yeah. But there, there, that's such a great, I think, image of of this, you know, this feeling of being kind of imprisoned inside of your of your own body as it's kind of acting against your will you know, sort of moving this and, but not even doing anything interesting. You know, it's not even like you're, you know, like you're, you're in, you know, uh, I don't know, being forced to march through mud or something or whatever. You're just sort of sitting there move, like moving and, and you, and you note like the, the, the specific physical ac actions that are demanded of like, you know, placing your hand on the trackpad and the way your fingers move and right. This kind of hyper specific um, description of like, of, of life online. Um, I mean, for one, it, I, I really feel like after I read the book, I mean, re I think reading your book was one of the things that made me realize that I probably need to stop using the internet so much, right? That it, it held a mirror up to me and allowed me to kind of see what, see, you know, in, in, in clear, with, with clarity, uh, the, the sort of ridiculousness of constantly being online. That's a really difficult thing to, a difficult, you know, image to see of yourself. In as much as when you're using it, it really does have this feeling of, of you know, I'm not doing it, but this thing outside of me is doing it. And the real me is inside and is thinking thoughts and doesn't want to be doing this in the first place. Um, but, yeah, just to just to give that image of like the Internet using person, I thought was just like this is magnificent. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think one of the things, you know, that I was interested in and I think it, it is one of the the kind of just main themes in general uh, of a lot of the the writing that I like. I mean, I was thinking about like Newt Hampson's Hunger. I don't know, have you have you read that novel at all? Or like- um, I read Gross of the Soil. Oh yeah, that one's great too, yeah. I haven't read Hunger yet. Um, but you know, just these these depictions of people who, and I mean, it's 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 just, it is the, um, I, 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 read, I read Faulkner's like a Nobel, prize speech the other day for some reason and he he says something like you know uh you know i don't know it's, i'm gonna butcher the quote but something like the contemporary writer has like lost the sense of the heart conflicted with itself which is like the only 
thing, the only, the only, the only valuable subject of literature or something like that. And like, for me, I was really interested in like these, these moments where like, like action and thought, you know, there's something in between in the space in between action and thought. And like, you know, you can be like in small ways throughout the day, like doing things quote on sort of against your will, sort of like that. I think it's Paul who has that, has, you know, has the line where he's just like, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I do want to do or, or something like that. And I think like one of the things that I noticed when I was really like, um, trying to like quote unquote observe myself and my behavior online and, and generally was that there were these moments all the time throughout the day where it was like um you know where it was like um you know one can be truly at odds with themselves and 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 in in in, in and it is a sort of pathetic state you know what I mean <laughs> yeah it it this is just occurring to me now but so the desert fathers talk about legismoi and like battling like idle thoughts and the idle thoughts is the entry point for de demons hmm. and this seems sort of similar to that way uh, say more say more about what the what's the word that you that you said uh legismoi think is the so it's something i mean what exactly you know it's on it doesn't see the way they talk about it it doesn't seem like our idea of stream of consciousness was how they thought like it might be that stream of consciousness i'm taking this from um some i i read this as some like orthodox writer was talking about this that the idea of stream of consciousness Wait, might are, are you orthodox Am I? Yes, I am. Nice, dude. I'm I'm a catechumen. Okay, cool. Very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. The that stream of consciousness might not have been like a literary innovation to describe something that people have always done. Rather, that that kind of thinking may have been new, and then writers were like writing about something that was itself novel. Does that makes sense. Like the way the Desert Fathers talk about it, they seem to have one thought at a time. Like they're not, they don't just have this like stream going, but nonetheless, like there's this idea that, you know, that, okay, so these, the Desert Fathers are sitting in like caves and like rough huts and stuff in the Egyptian desert. And they're, you know, doing spiritual labor and aesthetic flavors. And they're, they're really concerned with, you know, not letting, not letting their mind go blank and not just letting their thoughts go idle. Because when that happens, you know, you're, you be open yourself up to demonic influence hmm. rather like, so like the Christian prayer tradition is not to like empty your mind. I think that's like a, like a Buddhist idea. It's like not to empty your mind, a very dangerous state to be in actually, but to, to have continual prayer um yeah but Sorry, go ahead. Uh, this sort of thing you know activity that this novel describes seems like it i don't know it's almost like a <laughs> it like opens you up to all kinds of weird like having this sort of uncontrolled thinking and like the character describes himself as like 
acting as though bidden by something outside of him like he's not in control hmm. of his body or his thinking right um, and I, this connection didn't occur to me until just now but it's an interesting it's definitely an, it's an interesting connection for sure i mean i've i've thought a little bit about how um you know in relation to something like live blog or something like a lot of the kind of alt lit stuff but also yeah just in general the sort of thinking and, and 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 sort of productive mode that we've been talking about is like there's this mask of like authenticity or honesty where it's like i'm telling you how much of a bad person i am or i'm telling you all this type of stuff but there's something that gets obfuscated when you're because you're making a claim about what's real right you're saying like you know i mean you're still selecting things to report or to you know express or whatever but when it comes to like thinking i think that that's an interesting point about stream of consciousness being new because i think that it seems right to me that you know one of the things that kind of plagues contemporary people or at least me is this sort of like what kierkegaard would call the reflective age you know it's like abstraction sort of tyrannizing the individual reflecting in on itself endlessly so you have these like meta layers of self-awareness and so on and then you have that reflected back to you on a screen or, you know, you're always sort of aware of the presence of the other, you know, like I won't, you know, sometimes when I'm tweeting a lot, I like start seeing tweets like everywhere I go, not like visualizing them, but like everything gets like filtered through like a tweet tone or tweet possibility. And so I'm like engaging with the world in a way that does seem distinctly, I mean, in some ways these are, you know, whatever we're, we're, we're people and the problems we have are eternal, but in other ways, it's like the kind of the way that I can like engage with the, you know, I can look at a flower and think about, you know, taking a picture and where should I post it and who might like it or this kind of thing. Um, I don't know. It feels, it feels sort of related to what you were just talking about. And it does make it difficult. I mean, like, you know, yeah, the, the, the sort of Christian idea that like, you know, yeah, you shouldn't empty your mind. You should fill it with the things of God. You know, you should, whatever is good, whatever is true, you know, this kind of thing. Um, yeah. Anyway. And a lot of the time self, self reflection or these meta layers of self-awareness kind of, I think, at least for me personally, they can really block me off from that, um, that spirit and that like connection, you know? Um, yeah. I, I won't, I won't spoil. Myself. Anyway, Joey. I was going to say, I, I won't spoil the end of the book, but I will just note that, um, right, so your your character goes out for a walk with the dog and is trying to just kind of, you know, leave, leaves his phone at home deliberately and is trying to just sort of enjoy the world. And, and even then is constantly kind of nagged by the absence then of the phone object. And it's sort of always like, it's like, oh, I should make a note on my, I, I just had the thought I need to make a note and reach for his pants and slap his thigh and realize it's not there. And like even then, you sort of see this continuation of, uh, of the the sort of the, the the consciousness shaped by the internet continues out in the the ostensibly real world, and and the sort of yeah, this kind of like nagging presence of the online uh, becomes a kind of ghost that haunts them, you know, in the in the very end of, of this book. And I, I and it, you know, it was uh, very effective uh, and and an affecting ending. Um, and I gotta say, I'm really grateful for you for you reading this thing and saying all this stuff, man. It's like it's really nice to hear the way that you read it and saw it, and so like I, I sincerely appreciate it. It's like it's humbling, and I and I, yeah, thank you. No, of course, and and I'm I'm not like BSing you either. I mean, I wouldn't be 
talking about if I didn't think it was a really good book. Um, uh, I don't just like gas people up because they're they're a guy that I know. I mean, I think it like it really does grab something very like real and urgent about life in our age and kind and, and, and sort of what this what all these communication technologies are doing to our attention and then this you know sort of what is downstream of our of the of, of this sort of destruction and degradation of our attention um it's also funny I, it's it's hilarious i mean it's, it's unbelievably funny i, I do want to i want to ask a little bit i mean there was a moment where your character does actually uh get enough sort of uh, uh attention to like start writing something he writes a he starts to write a different book then he's just like oh i gotta leave that other novel behind he tries a couple of times he tries to change the the uh the the sort of perspective to write not in the third person but in the first person etc and has and you have a lot of really interesting thoughts um in that section about these these different perspectives and how you can write from them but then he cracks open a new book and just starts writing um uh, this basically just like uh, he says it's gonna it's gonna be like thomas bernhard's the woodcutters um and he just like tears into this guy that he doesn't like uh and, and i guess what what if i was interesting about that and i i'll I, I, I'll try my best to sort of frame this as a question is this is like the moment that finally he gets enough sort of en enough like a t sort of reserves of attention. He can channel his attention finally into working. And what he channels it into is like this tirade against a guy that he doesn't like. Um, and, uh, and, and there's, there's something deeply pathetic about it. Um, even if he's like it, some of the stuff that he says is, you know, he, he has these interesting criticisms of like sort of, uh, I don't know, sort of art scene people. Right. And, and, you know, some of that stuff I think is, is makes, you know, it makes sense as a kind of criticism, but it's clear that he's projecting something outward. And so he's able to kind of muster um, the sort of strength to do something, to write something. And it ends up just being this like long, insulting tirade about a about a, a this other person who's like another writer so I, I i guess i just i wanted to like um i wanted to ask about like what uh what's going on in that in that section you know because it, it's it's and it's all kind of again it's all framed and like otherwise he's he's totally totally unable to do anything for any period of time without being distracted by like a notification or just like the the sort of desire to crack open the internet this is the one time that he can finally do it um so yeah. i don't know uh, help me understand who is it a little bit based better. on who's the guy he hates based on <laughs> <laughs> name and name and shame no you don't, you don't have to yeah i don't want to i i <laughs> i because like the thing the, the way that i justified it to myself at least was like you know actually weirdly this 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 a uh, 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 british academic guy who wrote a an, a good novel called dead souls he uh he guessed i never met him before never talked to him before i met him at a bar uh one one night and uh uh and he guessed instantly who it was and i was like oh shit it's that it's that it's that. um um but no i i um uh yeah i'm not gonna do that you know i i uh but i i um uh yeah i mean i was sort of thinking about like um a couple of things i mean one one was that um uh, well, first of all, I guess if I'm being like honest, you know, I, I think the rant that you're talking about was like the first thing of the novel that I wrote, like, and it wasn't like, I didn't think it was going to be a novel at the time, but I was like, you know, just like writing, like really ranting about this guy that I really thought was just pathetic and, and, and a horrible person, you know, sort of like, um, you know, it just became kind of like the worst 
um, woke is a bad word, but you know, he just became total scum, you know? And, uh, and, um, you know, and at one point I realized as I was writing this novel that I could just sort of insert like rants about things if I like kind of constructed the novel around them or whatever. But then eventually over like the years of working on it, I did sort of start to feel like there was a kind of like, um, cause I've had, I like, I have that experience. I have had that experience where like, you know, my attention is, is completely fragmented and pulled a million ways. And there's this kind of like, you know, um, almost like online, you know, there's this like mimetic fever dream of this like tension just building and so on. And then like, I tried to kind of do this small in some small way, you know, like a Girardian thing where he like basically unleashes it on a scapegoat, you know, um, I think in, in the, in the, in the novel, uh, there's stuff about how, how the narrator and the guy like, you know, used to be very similar or, or, you know, in, in various ways and so on. And I sort of like, I think over time as I work on the novel, yeah, I kind of realized that like, you know, while some of the things that the narrator says are true um, about, about him and about this kind of condition of like the, uh, you know, the enlightened um, woke white guy or whatever, um, um there's also some sort of like, um, I mean, the guy has been trying and failing to write a novel all day, you know, and he's just been slamming caffeine and then he just chimps on chimps on someone who's like not even there, you know? And I think like, um, yeah, I mean, that's sort of, those are some things I was thinking about. I don't know if that really answers it or, or eliminates it at all, but. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's helpful. I'll also note, this is, this is the point I think where, where the Dostoevsky felt, uh, Dostoevsky influence felt most um, obvious to me because it, really felt like that like that section of the underground man like the opening of the underground man where he's just ranting about all these people he dislikes and it reflects upon him as um this kind of pathetic sort of hateful sort of character but a perceptive one right mm -hmm. and there's 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 something there's something i mean dostoevsky sort of haunts me in this respect that the that uh you know the underground man for for however um i don't know kind of like repugnant he is as a as a kind of person there's something that 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 repugnance grants him a, a sort of vision into the heart of things, uh, at least for these little glimmers, you know, and it's sort of the thing for, for your character in the book that, um, you know, there, that there's something he's able to, something he's able to see about like the functioning of the world um, that he's sort of given the ability to see it by, I don't know, like it's almost, it's almost like the entire first part of the book and kind of his like bizarre meanderings through the internet. Like that's what allows him to be able to see that this guy's like totally bogus. Mm -hmm. um, but then in kind of writing it, it also reflects poorly on him. Uh, I don't know. It, it, it's a really complicated. I mean, I, I think this is this is to say like the the you know the book is very complicated too and 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 rich and strange. Um, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, think, I think that's the. At least for me, I think that's like the the goal of of, of writing literature. Gerard has this like, um, you know. First of all, have you he, his his book about Dostoevsky is is great, Resurrection from the Underground. I don't know if you if you, I don't know if you've read it, but it's like it's completely I read it. for me. It's really short and it's like completely illuminating about particularly the underground man and that he talks about like um like underground psychology almost as this sort of like um you know psycho spiritual kind of like condition almost um which he associates with like pride and the nature of pride and and so on um um but uh but one of the things that he says about novels is that he thought that for the great novelists 
like Dostoevsky, um, that their first drafts were attempts at self-justification that like, you know, you're scapegoating someone or something, you know, and then you have what amounts to like a sort of novelistic conversion and you like come out of the other side. And he says that then that the great novelists are, are then able to describe the evil of the other from within. And I think for me, that really was, I mean, you know, not to like say I'm a great, you know, whatever, but like I, but for me, that really was my experience of writing this where it was like, where it was like over time, you know, cause, cause you know, it's like, it's like multiple things can be true at once. You know what I mean? Where it's like, okay, some of this is true, but you know, it can also be true that what's motivating this critique is, you know, maybe some sort of private, you know, personal resentment or, 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 or like a uh, insecurity about one's own personal failures or whatever. And so like all these things can be kind of, you know, uh, this sort of constellation of, 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 of various things that like seemingly are in contradiction, but in reality exist together, you know? And I think so much of what is wrong with a lot of the way people read and, and write now is that it's fundamentally like ideological, you know, it's one note. It's sort of like, you know, there's the good guys and the bad guys or the, or the oppressors and the victims or, or something like that. Um, and it's um, all YA literature, all like yeah. all literature is like young adult literature, right? Dude, I, yeah, I think I could say it was fine. Nicolette um, teaches a class. Actually, wait, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say this. Never mind. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I, I can't, I can't be talking crap about my, my wife's students like while she's, while she's here. basically, but basically it is that it's that they've all only, you know, many of them, many of the most belligerent and like aggressive and like um, reactive students have really only read like YA or fan fiction and stuff like that. They had, you know, she's been teaching um, uh, Flannery O'Connor and and Nabokov and, and and people like that. And, and you know, and they'll, they'll just be like, you know, like this is, you know, they'll just react, react, react against it. And when she'll ask like, well, what do you like to read? You know, they're like, you know, Harry Potter and, and YA. And, you know, it's like, it's depressing. You know what I mean? Um, especially when it's like married to that, like, belligerent oh, I'll, stop. I'll stop there <laughs> i met a professor yeah well it's, it's a who taught uh ovid she was a classic professor and she taught it once and she had students actually throw the book at her the horses at her because they were so upset with how often rape was mm. it's true and she goes well did it ever occur to you that like Ovid wanted you to be angry about it? Right, right. There, no, like that there's, there's, a, that there's a range of like that that your response might be exactly what he was attempt you know attempting to elicit or not, but that it's at least a plausible re you know. They they're, they're the first look people twenty three and under today are the first people to think that rape is wrong. And, and you know what I'm saying? They're the first people to think that um, you know, that 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 justice and 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 so on are good. Um but it's interesting. Well, on that subject, everyone should go out and read Tocqueville about uh, American attitudes about yeah, race in in the 19th century, which he is alarmed by the the rapidity and violence of American uh Americans like punishing rapists. Anyway, that's like uh you know, uh, 19th century America. Um, the the thing I was saying earlier about the stream of consciousness, just to toss it out there, if you or anyone is interested, I recall what book I read about that in, which is a book called Bread and Water, 
Wine and Oil by Archimandrite Meledios Weber, which is an interesting Orthodox spiritual book, but Bread and Water, Wine and Oil, which is a great, uh, great title. Um, you know, I wonder, like, a, I, I share your antipathy towards the ideological writing and reading. I wonder how it seems like that and the fever is kind of broken on that a bit. That that it turned out not not to produce really any books, like it, any like actual books. Like that it, it seems like that there's nothing to say about it. Like what is there to say? And so it turns out not to produce either writers or readers. And so it seems like there's no there's no actual energy in it anymore. There was briefly, maybe, but it kind of burned itself out because there's nothing to say. And so now, yeah, some people have like institutional whatever, but in terms of actual energy and people writing and reading things, it seems like that stuff is just is totally um, an afterthought and that everyone realized, oh, we can just keep reading and writing books and it doesn't matter what, you know, people who are on that on that thing say because they don't read anyway and yeah. they don't write anyway so who cares yeah yeah i mean i definitely think there and i'm very grateful that there is more energy that kind of like exists apart from from that that mode you know i do i am a little bit more it's hard because because i i often feel that way too where i'm like it's over we're free, free at last, you know. Um, but, but I don't know. It's so, it's so institutionalized. It's so easily weaponized. And, 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 uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. What do you think, Joey? I, yeah, I, I think that you're too optimistic, Don. I mean, just a couple of years ago, there was that New Yorker short story cat person that got like super famous, and they just made a multi multi million dollar movie out of it and stuff. And no and one what I thought was, in, no, there's no. I mean, no one's, no one's. No one's going to see the movie, but but a lot of people did, in fact, read the story. And, and you know, a lot of people did, in fact, read that the book that came out from that from the, that that woman wrote. Really? Like, like, has anyone talked yeah. about it in years? I, I don't know. I just uh, I really don't think any of this stuff. Like the the the, the like what gets taught. OK, I learned this from someone who runs like an online literary magazine. There's no correlation between actual view, like reading of things and how often they're shared on social media. Two, like those are two totally distinct numbers. That there are things that get like bandied oh. on, well, but that doesn't actually reflect what people, you can like use analytics and see what people actually read. Totally separate numbers. This is weird because my my friend Michael Clune recently publishes like, uh, it seemed like for a while there he was publishing essays like every other month. And like, he had like the most read essay I think on the Chronicle of Higher Education website ever, certainly in the, yeah, there it is, white out Michael Clune, yeah, yeah, nice, he's, he's, uh, shouts out, shouts out uh, uh, Mike, but, but, um, so it was, I believe, the most read on the Chronicle ever, and I searched the link on Twitter, there was like no tweets about it, and then there was another one that he wrote that was like one of the most read on, I don't remember, another website, and I searched the link, there was like no tweets about it, and I was like, how is this even, so I, so I, I sort of, um, I see what you're saying. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's weird. 
yeah there's this there's like a world of like what journalists tweet and write about that has almost no correlation to what people actually read and view in the same way that um the television program girls which got you know like more written about it than any other cultural artifact in history and that had almost like minuscule actual viewership um mm. but I don't know. I, but then some things get neither written about nor read, you know, like William Volman's The Dying Grass, which is like, I think, the most serious, interesting American novel, probably of the century so far, which as far as I can tell, no one has either read or written about. Um, but thank God that his, his editors keep letting him publish these like, uh, enormous books that probably don't sell very well anyway. Uh, I mean, I, I do, you are right that there's like, that the sort the spheres of like things that people actually read and the, the things that the critical apparatus is sort of chattering about are like non-overlapping in many ways. Um, but I, I do think that the kind of YA good and bad guys, like the, you know, noble hero against like toxic garbage person sort of um, structure of book is still pretty popular and not just with young people. I think actually the readership of a lot of stuff that's billed as YA is actually like, uh, sort of millennials, like, you know, 30 some odd people who, who have just kind of given up reading difficult stuff. And it's, it's kind of like watching TV for them and so on and so forth. But it, I will, I will also know, I mean, alongside kind of that popular tendency in in book publishing and literature there's kind of the other this other thing which is kind of like depressive autofiction this is like a big deal um and this i think actually i put the nail in the coffin yeah you you did it you ended it forever (laughs) Um, i was gonna say i mean it it bears some kind of dim resemblance to like altlet stuff right It, it you know it's it's you know it it sort of moves in a similar kind of um uh, I don't know, sort of nexus of emotions to a certain extent. Uh, it's sort of, you know, this reflection upon contemporary life. In many ways, it has that kind of honesty that you were talking about that um, that may or may not actually be a, a good thing, um, or artistic, whether, whether morally or artistically or whatever. But that stuff, I think, is read a lot, especially by college students and college graduates. Um, there's like, what is it, Otessa Bosfeg, or I, I don't know how you pronounce her name correctly. She's kind of writes the, My Year of Rest and Relaxation. Huge book, very popular. Yeah. She's um, interesting. A, she is interesting, yeah. She is interesting. Um, that essay she I, wrote about, like, I think hanging out with Philip Roth, she doesn't name Roth. It's a very interesting essay. But there's, there's kind of this whole world of, of sort of that stuff that is really popular too. And it seems like it, um, I mean, everybody I've ever known who's like really invested in that stuff, like smokes too much weed and um, <laughs> has maybe like a master's degree in some sort of cultural studies thing, but uh, uh, sort of underemployed. Um, but it's like, but there's a lot, so surprisingly, a lot of people <laughs> who fit in that category, you know what I mean? Like, it's not a small percentage of the American population in a certain respect. It's a lot of people who live in cities kind of, um, have that kind of thing. And, and I don't know, it's, it's, I think I think basically that you know the world of 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 book publishing for fiction 
has not been in an especially good way for a really long time. But I mean, but this has been the case forever, right? Like, you know, Melville's Moby Dick was poorly received in 1851, right? I mean, and, and many of our, you know, the greatest writers of the last several centuries were not really like, you know, respected in their day, or some of them were, but only by certain people, and they didn't sell a lot of books, whatever. Um, I mean, one of the best-selling books in the last many many years was The Secret, right? Like that's, I think about that all the time, that this horrible, terrible, silly book is like one of the best sellers in book history. Um, anyway, go ahead. Joshua Cohen's Book of Numbers, I think is a major novel, like major novel. I read, I read it, loved it. None of the reviewers read it. I was, yeah. I, because none of them talk about the character Mo, who is one of the most interesting, funny characters in an American novel in a really long time. And none of the reviewers mention him because it happens in the middle of the novel. You can tell a reviewer didn't read a book when he only mentions stuff from the beginning and the very end. It's, it's, it's interesting. So I, I was having the thought like the other day when people were posting predictions about the Nobel, 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 whatever. Um, where I was like, on the one hand, I said Jordan Castro was going to get it. By the way, I'm sorry it didn't happen, but <laughs> I agree. One day, one day, one day. Um, uh, but I, I. Uh, That's a spirit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, um, but I was thinking that, like, you know, one way. So, because I tend to like, you know, agree. It's really, it seems really obvious to be like, oh my god, the state of publishing is, and it is. I mean, you know state of publishing sucks and the books suck and the readers suck you know it's it's it's, it's kind of easy to um i i you know it's 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 it, 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 it's easy for me to feel that way um but another thought that i had about it was like um there are also a lot of really good writers you know i mean marilyn robinson and carson john fossey like um you know there's 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 a lot of um joshua cohen's great you know ben lerner even though the topeka school like yeah, whatever you know he, he he's still he's still at least um smart and 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 doing interesting things but i um but the other the one thing is that like there are just so many writers and you see them a lot you know what i mean like you see them online it feels very oppressive to know that like i think it, I, I i don't know it's many thousands of, of people every year get mfas you know um and that's like way too you know that's so many people, you know, and, 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 and there are so many books that get published. Um, um, and so I think it's just with the availability of just seeing it all happen on, on the internet or, or something like that. I, like, I've been wondering if like, if it is just skewed where there is this mass of ideological mediocrities, but like on the whole sort of at the top, there are still some pretty good writers or something like at the top. I mean, it sounds like a weird, but not just at the top. Like I just read a novel. Right, right, right. right. It's a first novel by Sally Thomas, who's also a poet called works of mercy. Really cool book. I I liked it a lot. Powerful book. Um, Cat like a Catholic novel, very Catholic novel. I was like, Oh, people are still writing like good Catholic novels. That's cool. And it's published by wise blood books, which is one of these sort of print on demand, small publishers, of which there are a ton, like this is sort of a new thing of actually publicly small publishers using, yeah, print on demand books aren't as nice as like a well-printed book, but it opens up possibilities that otherwise aren't there that, I don't know, I think there's actually a lot of um, interesting things happening like that. 
that's exactly right. Yeah. I want to just really quick amend my statement that I completely agree. There are like also a lot of really great writers. Um, Honor Levy, Walt John Pierce, Sans Brady, I don't know, just shout, shout them all out. Nicolette, my wife, obviously, you know, phenomenal, just the, the greatest. But, you know, there's there's like, there are a lot of, Scott, I mean, there's tons of, there, there are a lot of really good writers. Um, and so, yes, sorry, I just wanted to like interject and, and not just, just. But at the play. same time, I think the field is open. Like that there are lots of great writers doing things, but none of whom are able to find big audiences it also might just be that like the medium of books as much as I am committed to it and love it has, you know, is now just going to be like an audience size in the same way, like vinyl records or something, which have kind of had a mini resurgence and will presumably stick around forever, but you know, not going to have like a mass audience anymore, which is fine. But uh, some do sell though. You know what I mean? Like, I know, I know. You know, and so like, I think I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it is, you know, um, but but in any case, I think the field is open. Hmm. Like there's really nothing stopping people from writing books and getting them published. I think there's this idea that there's all these like hidden choices that the big, bad publishing houses are like rejecting and are never seeing the light of day. I think that's totally fake. There's no way that people are writing like really great series novels who can't find a publisher somewhere there's so many publishers now or honestly if it's that good just publish it you like you can find like you, there's nothing stopping you from doing it and i think that was the fun twist of like the stuff we were talking about earlier i'm just opening up that possibility of like yeah you can just make books and literary journals with your friends. There's like nothing, there's no, um, there's no technical limitation. There's, you don't have to ask anyone for permission. You don't have, you know, there's nothing stopping people from, from doing that. Turns out that DIY punk rock was right all along, you know? Yeah. And DIY punk rock, you, you know where DIY punk rock thrived in large part? The great state of Ohio. And that's very true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like every one of those major cities had something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You guys, have, we, I know you gotta get, you gotta get Joey, so we can we can bounce. You did either of you guys ever go to Berea Fest in Ohio? Berea Fest. I've been to Berea, Ohio, but I never went to that festival. I was just curious. never went to never went to Berea Fest. I did have friends who used to go to Skatopia back in the day. You ever know about that place? I, I know about it. I never went. Is that that's in Ohio, right? Like Southern Ohio? It's like Southern Ohio, like in the Appalachian part of it. And apparently it was just like some crazy guy had this plot of land where he built like a small rinky dink DIY skate park. And they would have a big festival every year where just like loads of teenagers would come from like the, the whole Ohio Valley and like set things on fire and yeah. do way too many drugs and skateboard. And it, it mostly was horrible, I think. Um, but uh, yeah. was also like a staple of of my my teenagehood in Huntington, West Virginia. So my my late our friend our late friend Anthony um, used to organize Crucial Fun Fest every year in Kentucky. I don't know if you ever went to Crucial Fun Fest, George. I've I've heard of it. I've heard of it, but I, I don't uh, think I went. Yeah, yeah, it was really something. Nice up the punks. Okay, well, hey, Joey's yeah. got. 
So I think we should wrap this up. So Thanks thank for- you so much, uh, Jordan Castro, author of The Novelist, a novel which, um, you know, apparently can be talked about in the same breath as with uh, Dostoevsky and Dante. Um, and so, uh, I don't know, we'll have to check back in a few centuries and see uh, uh, see how that's holding up. Um, Joey's a really smart guy. I think he's probably right. <laughs> what can I say? I have to say the funniest part of the book, the novel is when the character is talking about you yeah character is like musing about how like handsome you are and how great your twitter is and so on um all right so uh thank Thank you you. gordon for coming on and yeah man thanks for doing this thus ends another installment of the doomer optimism literary hour